Hey, good morning, guys. My name's Dave, and I'm the campus pastor uh, here at our World Golf Village campus. And I'd invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. This is the book we're studying uh, to begin 2023. And I'm just going to read one verse from 1 Timothy. And then we're going to look at, um, we'll walk through the passage, but I just want to read one verse to get us started. This is the, the verse that we get our point from today. Now, listen, pay attention to this, because this is God's word. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's sufficient. It's our only rule for faith and practice. Listen to this. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Spend some time in prayer. Father, give us love. Holy Spirit, come and fill our church with love. Jesus, you are love. We ask, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every heart here today. Lord, we pray that, that those who don't yet know the love of Jesus Christ would receive you today, and that they would move from being lost to being a believer in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that those who are immature, young, babes in Christ, that they would be built up this morning in the preaching and teaching of your word, that the goal of our instruction today would be that people would experience the love of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that mature men and women would be equipped, equipped to, to go and share with others the love of Jesus. Lord, that the result of our time together this morning would be multiplied disciple makers who could be sent to the nations so that those people who have yet to hear of the love of Jesus Christ for them could hear and respond to this good news. Lord, I ask for you to do this. I depend on Help those who hear and the one who speaks. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a joke I heard. I'm going to update it for the national championship. And imagine that there was a woman who was driving in a bus. She was riding a bus to Atlanta, Georgia, by way of Athens, Georgia, home of the University of Georgia Bulldogs. And as she was on her way, she sat right behind the driver, and every 10 minutes, she would ask the driver, are we in Athens yet? This went on for hours. As the bus drove to Athens, every 10 minutes, are we in Athens yet? The bus finally arrived at Athens. The bus driver opens the door. She, he says, get out, we're in Athens. She said, oh, no, I'm going all the way to Atlanta. But my daughter told me when we got to Athens, I should take my blood pressure medicine. Are we there yet? 
Are we there yet? Have you ever been on a road trip with someone and they ask you every few minutes, are we there yet? It'll drive you crazy. How would we know? How would we know as a follower of Jesus? How would we know if we're there yet? Last week, we started our study in the book of 1 Timothy and we answered the question of what we want to do as a church that we want to be a church that makes disciples together. And we began answering a little bit more of the how we want to make disciples together, that Jesus shows us how to win the lost, build believers, and equip workers, and multiply disciple makers. This morning, this morning, what I want us to do is look in more detail, not at the what or the how, but at the why. Why make disciples? Why do we want to have the goal of making disciples together? Why win the lost? Why build believers? Why equip workers? Why multiply disciple makers? And the reason that the book of 1 Timothy gives in verse 5 is love. And so to answer the question, are we there yet? Do you have love? Is your heart overflowing with the love of the Father for you in Jesus? Is your love for Jesus overflowing in a love for one another? Is your love for one another drawing, attracting, bringing lost people to come and say, well, what is this? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What we're going to learn this morning, our point, is that the goal of our disciple-making is love. The goal of our disciple-making is love. You say, well, disciple-making? Yes, disciple-making. Go back up to verse 3, and we're going to walk through this passage. But Paul says in verse 3, as I urged you, as I urged you. Now that word urge is one of the most famous words in the New Testament. It's the word parakaleo. It's the word for coming alongside. It's the same word Jesus used to describe the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, Timothy, I came alongside you. I urged you. That tells us again of the relationship that Paul and Timothy had. Paul, who's writing this letter to Timothy, calls him in verse uh, 2, my true child in the faith. That Paul had won Timothy to faith in Christ, that he had built Timothy as a follower of Jesus, that he had equipped him as a worker, and now he says, I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus. Paul knows Timothy's heart. He knows that by nature, Timothy tends to be somewhat of a chicken. He's just like me. On the inside, he's a big chicken. He's fearful. He's afraid. 
Paul says, I urged you, I came alongside you, I trained you, I equipped you. And then I sent you into into Ephesus. I asked you to remain there as I continued on in my ministry. Now why? Why? Because Paul understood what we must understand, and that's this. Many years ago, John Wooden, maybe the most successful basketball coach to ever coach the game, John Wooden said this, Rare is the college athlete who can get the most out of his ability without a coach to push him and a team to encourage him. Rare is the college athlete who can get the most of his ability without a coach to push him and a team to encourage him. And it's the same for us. If we're ever going to make progress in following Jesus, we have to do it together. We need need the pushing and the encouragement of life together in a biblical community that God calls his church. We need one another. Because otherwise, we'll be so tempted to just give in, give up, and give out. We need each other. And we're needed by each other. We're needed in the church to come alongside one another and encourage one another. We need and we're needed. And Paul knew how much the church at Ephesus was going to need Timothy. Because in Acts 20... He had told the elders, when he said goodbye to them for the last time, he had told the elders of what was going to happen to the church. In verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among uh, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased which is with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul had predicted the danger that the church at Ephesus would face, and so he warns the elders And then he sends one of his trusted disciples to encourage and equip the church. So he tells Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, Remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculations rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So some people have come into the church at Ephesus, and they've begun to teach a different gospel than the one that Paul preached and that Timothy preached and believed. That the church began to be distracted by so many other things other than the good news about Jesus Christ. Don't we see in our day 
so many things that draw us away from a pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. I see it in my own life. I get up with my version Bible app to have my quiet time and have my breakfast with Jesus. In one minute, I'm looking at my version Bible app to see what the reading for the day is. And the next minute, I'm looking at ESPN.com to see if the Jaguars won last night. And they did. But pretty soon, it's been minute after minute. And then I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was having breakfast with Jesus. And it's just writ large in our culture. There's so many things that want to draw the church away from a pure and simple devotion to Jesus and the good news of the gospel. And Paul says, remain on in Ephesus so that you can build the administration of God. What does that mean? Well, the word administration is the word oikonomos, and it's the word we get the word economics from. So you could think of the word administration as the rule, the management, the oversight of God over his people, because there's two ways to live. You are either going to live yourself, the self-directed life, And you are going to determine for yourself all your decisions and actions. You can live the self-directed life. You determine for yourself all your decisions and actions. And you can attempt to keep Christ outside of your life. Keep yourself on the throne of your heart. You can live the self-directed life, but it will have consequences. What Paul says to Timothy is that he is to build the administration of God, the rule of God, the kingdom of God, by helping people bring Christ into their life and onto the throne of their life so that they begin to live not the self-directed life, but the Christ-directed life. That the goal of the instruction, the goal of this ministry that Paul, that Timothy is going to have to the church at Ephesus is to build the administration of God, to build the kingdom of God, to help people live under the leadership of Jesus Christ, to live the Christ-directed life. And how is that achieved? By faith. That this Christ-directed life isn't achieved by us, it's received by us. So Paul would say in another one of his letters, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, just as by faith you took Christ into the center of your life, so live in him. Live in him. Live the Christ-directed life, not by your own achievement, Live the Christ-directed life by receiving Christ. Receiving him into the center of your life by faith. Then Paul says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now the source of this purity of heart 
this goodness of conscience and this sincerity of faith is all the same thing. The source of it is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the source of a pure heart. He is the source of a good conscience. He is the source of a sincere faith. That's the only way that we can achieve love is by receiving Christ into the center of our lives. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they're saying or matters about which they make confident assertions. Timothy, don't draw people to yourself. Draw people to the administration of God. Don't draw people to yourself like the leaders in Ephesus are trying to do. Draw people to Jesus. Keep pointing people up to the source of love. Keep pointing people to Jesus. And Paul says that one of the things that hinders the progress of the gospel is when people misrepresent and misunderstand the way that the gospel and the law relate to one another. Now, in this next section, Paul is going to show that the way to use the law is to help us see how much we need Jesus. Verse 8 says this, We know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. So what would be a lawful use of the law? Well, first of all, let's understand what what Paul means by the law. And we're going to find out as we read further that here, what Paul is referring to is the moral law. The Ten Commandments that are true for everyone, everywhere, all the time. That God has revealed to man what true obedience looks like. But if you use the law, the moral law, unlawfully by doing something other than three things, the first good use of the law, the first lawful use of the law would be this. To allow the law to show you how much you need Jesus. To reveal sin. To reveal your need of a Savior. If you use the law lawfully to reveal your sin and your need of a Savior, that's good. The second use of the law would be this. As a guide... For a Christian who wants to follow Jesus in obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, did you notice there were several caveats in what I just said? That this is for a Christian. The second use of the law is for a Christian. Someone who has turned from their sin and trusted in Christ, brought Jesus into the center of their life, onto the throne of their heart, and is allowing Jesus to direct all their decisions and actions. For a Christian, 
to use the law as a guide for what obedience to God looks like, it's good in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of our own strength, our own abilities. So that would be the second use of the law. The first use, to show us our sin and our need of a Savior. The second use, as a guide for Christians to live as followers of Jesus should, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the third is to restrain sin in the culture that surrounds the church, the world. To restrain sin in the world. Smiley is the founder of Good News Church, Smiley Sturgis, and in his office, Smiley has a copy hanging in his office of the Ten Commandments. And the particular copy of the Ten Commandments that he has in his office at one time hung in a school, a public school, I think in the state of Alabama. And the, at one time, that school had a copy of the Ten Commandments hanging in every classroom. But they were removed. And the reason they were removed is because someone thought that if that copy of the Ten Commandments hung in the classroom, a student might obey it. You say, well, what would be wrong with that? What would be wrong with living in a place where God had first place? What would be wrong with living in a place where people didn't murder one another? What would be wrong in living in a place where children obeyed their parents? What would be wrong with living in a place where sin was restrained? Now, Jesus is the only Savior from our sin. Jesus is the only one that can give us by his Spirit the desire and the power to obey. But wouldn't it be better to live in a culture where the law of God was known and allowed to restrain human nature? The three uses of the law. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, so what use of the law is Paul making in that passage? How would the Holy Spirit use it in the church at Ephesus and in our hearts today? Wouldn't the Holy Spirit use the Ten Commandments as Paul walks through them in that passage to reveal to us how much we need Jesus? Because as I read through those commandments, I realize I need Jesus. Don't you? When we read through that, don't we say to ourselves, all of us have sinned in some way. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. I read through the passage and I realize 
I need a Savior. I can't save myself. We read through the passage, and, and it's, it would be easy to pick out maybe one or two of these and really, really point out how hard Paul is on a particular sin. Probably one that I don't struggle with. That would be easy. But you know what the point of that whole section is? The point of that whole section is to help us all realize how much we need Jesus so that we can understand what Paul says in verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which I, with which I have been entrusted. According to the glorious gospel, the gospel, the good news, it's glorious. The word for glory is doxa. It, it means how amazing, incredible, awesome, whatever other superlative you could think of, that is true of the gospel. The good news. Now I realize that many of you think that I have some weird form of amnesia. That every Sunday I forget that I told you the gospel the week before. Some of you think I have some strange form of amnesia that I forget. And it's true. I have it and you have it too. The gospel leaks out of our hearts. We all have gospel amnesia. We all forget the gospel every single day. And so we need to hear the glorious gospel. I never get tired of hearing the gospel because it's glorious. It's amazing, incredible, awesome. What is it? What is the glorious gospel? The glorious gospel is the good news about our happy God. Our happy God. Our blessed God. That all the way back at the beginning, the good news of the gospel tells us that we had a happy God who was so full of love and joy that as an overflow of his love and joy, his experience of eternal blessing in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that as an overflow of that, he spoke and brought the entire universe into existence. Our God is a happy God who out of his joy and happiness made all things, including you and me. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, those image bearers who were created to reflect God's happiness, to reflect God's joy in his creation, our first parents turned their back, turned their back on God. And they brought sin and death and destruction into the world. And when they sinned, we sinned. And all of us come into this world separated from the happy God, separated from the joy and glory and happiness of God and in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. 
Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, being fully God, took to himself a true human nature, and so is fully God and fully man. In one person, Jesus Christ shows the joy and happiness of God. And for the joy set before him, the Bible says Jesus Christ went to the cross. To recover the joy and happiness of creation, Jesus Christ stepped into creation and on the cross paid the full and awful penalty that our rebellion against God deserved. This is the glorious good news of the blessed God, that Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, that God took all of our sin, past, present, and future, and put it on Jesus, and punished it, punished him in our place as our substitute. And if we would put our trust in him, he says, I'll forgive you all of your sin. I'll give you the gift of eternal life. And I'll come to live with you by my Holy Spirit to help you live as a follower of Jesus. But he says there's one more thing. The final chapter in the Bible is consummation. And the, the great thing that's coming is that heaven is coming to earth. The good news of the blessed God is going to end with God with his people forever on a new earth and everything sad is going to become untrue and be brought into the happiness and joy of God forever. What we were created for and lost, we're saved to experience again forever. That is the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Now, is that story, the one story of the Bible, is that your story? Have you taken that story into the center of your life so that you begin to interpret all of your life in light of that story? Have you experienced a setback this week in your business, or in your personal life? Have you, are you willing to let the story of the gospel become the thing that can enable you to overcome that setback? Because you're going to be tempted at every setback to tell yourself another story. The, the story of your own efforts. The story of using the law unlawfully to try to make yourself look good. To just stretch the truth just a little, to overcome your setback, instead of throwing yourself back on the story of the gospel and saying, Jesus, I have no other hope of overcoming the sin within me and the sin around me and the sin that comes against me without your grace. You are my hope. You made me for happiness. You saved me from my lost happiness. You have made me to enjoy your happiness forever. That story can help you overcome any setback in your business or your personal life, any moral failure, 
It can help you overcome anything if you'll allow it to be the one story that defines your life instead of your feelings or your friends or the public opinion around us. The glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now, let's finish and think together about what it would mean for our church if the glorious gospel of the blessed God became the story that shapes everything. Wouldn't we fall more in love with Jesus? Wouldn't we fall more in love with one another? Wouldn't we fall more in love with the opportunity to show the love of Jesus to our lost neighbors? Last week, we gave you the strategic plan for Good News Church, and I'd love for you to grab a copy of it. You'll see it around the, the, um, the seats where you're sitting. Grab one. And as we think about this idea of, of loving one another, loving Jesus, loving one another, loving the lost, this is the goal. This is what the gospel produces in our church and in us. So on the inside cover of the vision, you'll see the vision statement. Let's just look at this. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, Good News Church, three years from now, Good News Church has become a church with three great loves. Good News loves Jesus Christ because he first loved us and gave himself for our sins. We love to spend time with Jesus in worship together and to follow him in all of life and to share him with others. Good news loves one another because Jesus first loved us and said we could love like him. We understand that we're both needy and needed in the local church. Good news loves the lost because Jesus loved us and sends us into the world as his ambassadors. More and more people are being equipped to win others to faith in Jesus Christ where they live, work, and play. Good news loves Jesus Christ. John Stott, in his little book, The Radical Disciple, he says this, if only the blindfold could be taken away from our eyes, if only we could see Jesus in the fullness of who he is and what he's done, why then, surely, we would see how, uh, how worthy he is of our wholehearted allegiance and faith. Love and obedience would be drawn out of us and we would grow into maturity. Nothing is more important for mature Christian discipleship than a fresh clear, true vision of the authentic Jesus. Did y'all know that I became a grandfather recently? Madeline, every single day, our daughter Madeline, uh, who had a little boy, Hudson, our daughter FaceTimes us every single day to let us see how Hudson's doing and, and her too. But Hudson's really the show. 
So every day we get to open up our FaceTime and, and we get to interact a little bit with him and see how he's doing. And it's really fun. You know, I really wish they were closer. It's a 12-hour drive to get to Louisiana where they live. I, I really wish they were closer. But I'm really, really thankful for those FaceTime videos. I long for Jesus to come. My heart cry is, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But oh, I am so thankful for breakfast with Jesus. I'm so thankful to be able to open Scripture. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit that helps me day after day to read and obey Jesus. I'm so thankful for, for the FaceTime of the Word and the Spirit that helps Jesus become more and more real in my life. How about you? What if every single day we got up to spend time with Jesus, to have breakfast with Jesus? What if we use the study? What if we use the study and, and for January and February and March and April, we just gazed at Jesus? In the Gospels, beginning with Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke, and then John. And we just gazed at Jesus together. Every day we got up and we had breakfast with Jesus. We gazed, oh, for a church that gazes in wide-eyed wonder at Jesus Christ. We'd fall more in love with Him. I'm really shocked. I'm really surprised by myself at how much my heart has been knit together with that little four-month-old boy, Hudson. I didn't expect it. I really didn't. Oh, that it would be the same by the grace of the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Word of God to make Jesus visible to us, that our knits, hearts would be knit together with Jesus, that our hearts would be knit together with one another that we would see I'm needed in the local church. It makes a difference when we show up for worship on Sunday morning and when we get here early and we come into the auditorium ready to sing. It makes a difference when we get involved in a small group where we can encourage one another and pray for one another. We're needed. and We're needy. We need each other. And it makes a difference when we love one another. It makes a difference when we love the lost. Last week, I shared with you how we saw last year 96 different people, um, sorry, 46 different people lead someone to faith in Christ last year. And this week, we celebrate that as we start 2023, four different people became evangelists, and four different people were one to faith in Christ. And that's just the start of 2023. Clint shared with you my interest, our interest in having uh, an idea. Jesus says, before you build a tower, you got to count the cost. I would love to know where we live, where we work, where we play. So would you take your card and put your name on it and let us know where you live? What's your neighborhood? Where do you work or go to school? 
And where do you play? Are you on a team? Are you a part of a gym? Are you in a club? Let us know. We'd love to begin to pray for those lost places in our community and begin to work strategically to equip people so that they can win the lost and build believers and equip workers and multiply disciple makers. Would you like to be equipped this year? Listen, as I've begun to describe the disciple-making lifestyle of Jesus and of Paul, is there something in you that says, I want that. I want that in my life. Listen, if you find yourself attracted to being equipped as a worker, as a disciple-maker, won't you put that on your card and let me know? Next month, we're going to start several new opportunities where you can get equipped. But if you're already interested, let me know. Mark it on your card. Put it on your card and leave the cards in the boxes in the back as you go. Many years ago, Charles Spurgeon was late to preach at his church. And his grandfather got up and preached in his place. And as uh, his grandfather was preaching, in walked Charles Spurgeon, maybe the greatest preacher um, of his time. And his grandfather pointed to him, and he says, you have all come here to hear my dear grandson, and therefore I will stop that you may hear him. He may preach the gospel better than I can, but he cannot preach a better gospel. Can you, Charles? My answer from the aisle was, I cannot preach the gospel better, but if I could, it would not be a better gospel. Jesus Christ loves you, and he's done everything necessary to make you acceptable to God. God is happy with his son, Jesus Christ, and you in Christ have everything you need to be accepted by God. Have you believed that glorious gospel of the blessed God? If you haven't, won't you? Won't you admit to God, I need a Savior. The law has revealed my sin. Dave was reading that law and it convicted me. I need Jesus. Won't you believe that on the cross, God took that sin and put it on Jesus and punished him in your place? Won't you commit your way to him? Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. and Help me become the person you want me to be. I'll give you the opportunity to receive him now as I close in prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, how thankful we are for the glorious gospel of the happy God. How glad we are that you invite us into a great disciple-making adventure, but the goal of our disciple-making is love. Oh, Jesus, for more love of you. Oh, for a church that loves one another. There's nothing more beautiful than the church when it acts like the church. And oh, for a church and churches throughout our county that would take seriously our responsibility to take the gospel to every neighborhood, every school, every business, 
every club, every gym, every team in this county. Jesus, it starts when we come to know you. So if you're ready to receive Christ this morning for the first time, if you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus, won't you say to him now, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you died in my place and rose again from the dead. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for seeking and saving the lost. Thank you for leaving your Holy Spirit that we could love you, love one another, and love our community. We pray in your name. Amen.